Hello and welcome to the River and Panhandle's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you are tuning in for this week's message. Before we get started, there are a few things that we would love for you to do. Share it, subscribe, and rate the podcast. So the message is about to begin. We hope that you are encouraged and that you always remember, no role is insignificant. Every life matters and go out and make a difference. I know Joe Tindall was here last week. Um, I'm not him. I know you can't tell us apart. Um, but uh, my name's Michael Bigler. I'm one of the associate pastors at the Loft Church. I spend a lot of time with Joe, Matt. And, uh, I don't think you've met Rick Chaddock yet, but I hope in the future that you get to and be blessed with him. Uh, but just a little bit about me. Uh, I'm 60 years old, and my wife says I look good for 60. Don't, she's not a liar. So... <laughs> And I've been retired for four years. I have about 35 years of government experience, uh, five years in the military, and then 30-plus years with the FAA as an air traffic controller. And you're wondering, how does an air traffic controller become a preacher? I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, Because I'm so used to telling people what to do, how to do it, where to do it, when to do it, how high to do it, how low to do it, and do it now. And that doesn't go real well with what I do now. But unfortunately... But that's a little bit about me. I've been with the Loft Church about four years um, in staff and about the last two and a half years as as an associate pastor, and then recently last year and a half as head of staff there. Um, But I do want to tell you this. It is an honor and a privilege to be here at the river. Um, I want to thank you so much and everybody um, for having the faith and the ability to to ask us to, uh, from the Loft Church to come over here and help you because we're more than happy to walk this with you as you go through this time, and we know it's not an easy one. So, got a lot to go through today. Don't worry, I know the chairs are up here. No, I'm not going to call people up here, so you can relax, and let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day that we come together just to honor and glorify you. Thank you for the word that you have today because your word is always so good. And I just ask that that word just be blessed on the ears and hearts of those here. Thank you for all you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So for years, our country's been known as a Christian nation, right? I mean, think about it. God is even mentioned in our Declaration of Independence. God bless the USA and, of course, the Dallas Cowboys, right? Go Chiefs. Um, Just saying. Um, But unfortunately today, here's the problem we have. For a growing number of Americans, they would not say that we're a Christian nation any longer. There are actually a large percentage of people that would, what we would identify or what they identify as what we would call as post-Christians. Now, to kind of bring into context what a post-Christian is... We're not talking about somebody that's agnostic or an atheist. A post-Christian is someone who's had some connection with Christianity. Now that may have been, maybe they were baptized, maybe they were even confirmed. I don't know, maybe they just go to church on Christmas and Easter. A post-Christian is someone who's had some exposure to Christianity, but they've chosen to reject it. Now, it's not that they don't know about Jesus. 
The problem is they, they do know about Jesus, but they really just don't care. I'm going to give you some statistics here and listen to these kind of closely. I mean, to give you an idea of what I'm just now talking about is that in the last eight plus years, America's membership in churches has been on a steady decline. In 1999, the number was 70% of Americans belonged to a church. However, in just nine short years, in the year 2008, that number dropped significantly to 50%. And in 2020, it fell to an all-time low for the first time below 47%. Gallup's been keeping track of these statistics since 1937, where the number of church mem- the amount of church memberships always been right around 70% until the start of the 21st century. For a long time now, we've been considered essentially a Christian nation, but now. Unfortunately, faith in Christ has moved from often what was those would consider the, to the center of where it normally was, out to the fringes. And it shifted from being, being something that many people see as, as a positive to something that is even considered to be a threat by some people. In fact, just the term Christian doesn't necessarily mean to a lot of people what it meant to a lot of people years ago. And if you're what's called an evangelical Christian, think about this. It's often interpreted to mean someone who's hateful, bigoted, judgmental, and basically a full-blown hypocrite, maybe someone who is even very, very dangerous. And the question I want to raise to you today is, how do we faithfully represent Jesus Christ in a post-Christian culture? See, if we're followers of Christ, how do, we, how do we represent Him in a way that honors and glorifies God and dignifies people in a culture that is becoming more hostile towards Christ? I think you would agree with this statement that we are in a very politically divided time right now. But here's the thing, church, a divided nation needs a united church. We've said it, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter because as our mission as Christ followers never changes. It never changes. So what is our mission? Well, in John 1.14, if we look at that, it would say our mission is this, that we are called to live and love with grace and truth. We're called to live and love with grace and truth. I mean... It, Even in Scripture, right there it says, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The question is, what did He come full of what? He was full of grace and truth. He was full. And I mean, well, think about this. How many of you know someone that is... Well, maybe full of something. There's a lot of hands going up. That's why. I really don't need to know what they're full of, please. But see, the thing is, when Jesus came, he was full. In fact, the word in Greek that is translated as full is plores. And it, it actually means to fill to the brim, to uh, more or less abounding in and just thoroughly full. 
I mean, if you've seen a glass of something, I mean, like a glass of water, right? And it's filled completely to the top, all the way up there. And if you just jiggle it just slightly, what happens? It overflows. Why? Because it's full. And that should be the same way with us. If, if anyone would get anywhere close to Jesus or people of Jesus, we would be so full of grace and truth that you can't even touch us without overflowing from that grace and truth. So why does it matter that Jesus came full of grace and truth? It matters because grace saves and truth frees. So what does grace do? Grace saves and what does truth do? Truth frees. If Jesus came full of grace and truth, then we as followers of Jesus should be what? We should be full of grace and truth. The, the problem is often in, in most circumstances, we haven't gotten it right. And I know I haven't. In fact, if you ever find yourself saying that, I, I was just having this conversation this morning, as a matter of fact, that sometimes I just don't like some Christians. And I'm with you. Half of them drive me crazy too. And most of them are on my staff. And the, the reason is, is because we often live in one of the extremes. We live on the extreme side of truth or we live on the extreme side of grace. Jesus didn't come with just one. He came with both. So let's look at truth. Truth is great. Truth is powerful. Truth sets you free. Powerful statements. But here's the problem with that. Some Christians, if they're all truth, and I mean, ha have you ever noticed if they're all truth that they can be kind of mean and angry and even out of touch and so very judgmental? If they're all truth, I mean, they're kind of like this. They're like, hey, you know, truth, buddy. It's all truth. You've got to have truth. And if you're not living right and then the truth and you're not dressing right, you're not behaving right, I'm going to tell you. And they got to have their truth because the Bible says it's true, and, and I'm a believer, and that makes it truth. That settles it. And if you're dressing funny and you're smoking that funny weed, and you know if you're doing that funny thing, I mean, you're all going to go to hell, and there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How many of you know somebody like that? Have you ever seen anyone like that? I'm glad I didn't say, oh, yeah, okay, we got somebody raising their hand. That's awesome. Look, the thing about that is just truth without grace is all it is. But if we swing to the other side and we look at the extreme side of grace, I'm going to promise you it's not much better. It's more like, hey, doesn't really matter what you do, right? God loves everybody, right? You know, I mean, we're all sinners, so it's okay, because we're just going to sin, and everybody's going to do it, and that makes it okay. I mean, who are you to judge me? Basically, you do you, I'll do me. And that's all grace without truth. These two extremes can really give you two really big, extremely terrible problems to deal with, and I want to talk to you for a moment about these problems, because... This is how we Christians often don't get it right. The first problem is this. Truth without grace leads to rebellion. 
if we are basically truth and truth and nothing but the truth and without any type of empathy or any type of understanding and no love and no grace, people reject that and they rebel against it. If you really want to see Christians get it wrong, and I've seen this before, have you ever seen or experienced a really religious family that is legalistic at home? What do you almost always see from the children? You see rebellion. You can almost like just guarantee rebellious children when you lead your family with rules and religion without a relationship. It's basically truth without grace. It leads to rebellion, and that's one very extreme problem. The other problem is this, is when you see grace without truth. What does that do? And grace without truth leads, and I'm going to teach you something here, I hope. Grace without truth leads to what we call relativism. Now, if, if you do whatever you want, Without any kind of standards or truth, it leads to what we call relativism, which is the belief that there is no such thing as absolute truth. And if there is no such thing as absolute truth, what are you left with? There's my truth, there's your truth, and therefore, since there is no truth, you can't tell me and God can't tell me how to live because there is no such thing as truth. So grace without truth leads me to a conclusion that it doesn't really matter what you do as long as you're happy. It doesn't really matter what you believe so long as you're sincere. It really doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anybody because grace without truth is love and acceptance without any type of definitive standard. So how do we respond to that? How do we respond today to that problem? And it's unfortunate how we do. Most people commonly do this. They get you just a little bit of Jesus. Get you just a little bit of Jesus, just a little bit, just just enough, a small doses of Jesus, maybe just enough to make you feel better about yourself. Watch a little Facebook or YouTube of your favorite preacher, maybe just one or two minutes of that. Just enough, and if it's really good, maybe you give it one of those thumbs up, a little heart thing, you know, maybe you type in there, amen, or praise hands, whatever that looks like. Just do just a little bit of something. Maybe you just read the verse of the day on your U, on your uh, version Bible app. So we want to make sure we don't break the streak, right? Just a little verse. Not, not, not so much that it, encourages you, not so much that it equips you, not so much that it convicts you or even transforms you. Not until the Word even renews your mind and transforms your life. No, just a little enough to make you feel better about yourself. Because remember this, a verse of the day keeps the devil away, right? Maybe you just come to church every now and then. Especially if there's nothing else going on. No need to serve. No need to get involved. Don't be generous. Don't give. Just kind of come and watch if there isn't something else better to do that day. Like football game. Yeah, just come if you can and just get you just a little bit of Jesus. Get enough of Jesus to make you 
feel better about yourself, but not enough to make you different. See, when Jesus came, he came full grace and truth, full of grace and truth. Therefore, we as followers of Christ are called to live and love with grace and truth. So what, what is this grace we're talking about? What is that? And grace saves, we know that, you've heard me say that, but what is it? What exactly is grace? Grace is the unmerited, undeserved kindness, favor, and goodwill of God. It's the loving kindness, the, it's the kind of God, uh, kindness that, of God that Scripture says that leads to repentance. And in Romans 2, verse 4, it says, it's not truth that leads to repentance. It's kindness and the grace of God. And here's the key to this. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. There's nothing you can do to earn it. The moment that you think you deserve grace, you've cheapened it. You've darkened it. It has become nothing more than a, an excuse as a justification to the way we behave. Because grace saves. Scripture says it very clearly in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. In other words, you can't do it because it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Remember, Jesus came full of grace and truth. And here's something else to consider. Grace is listed first in that scripture. And I believe there are no coincidences in the Bible. And I believe that grace came first because as followers of Jesus, we are supposed to lead with grace and then proclaim the truth. See if this makes sense. Let's take a row of people, the row you're in. I want you to look down that row. I want you to look down and see everybody, look at them. Yeah, you can smile at them. You can sit there, wave at them. Maybe you haven't seen them before. Maybe you can get with them after service today, whatever. But I want you to look down through there. Then I want you to look at the other side. Who else is on that other side there with you? You can look at them, see what the, you know, smile. Yeah, don't be judgmental. That's a whole nother message. But ask yourself this. On your row that you're sitting in, who do you think needs grace? Who do you think needs grace? I'm going to show you some examples of what I'm talking about. And maybe they're sitting on your row. But this lady here, we're going to start with a wife, a mother. She's a great wife and a wonderful mother. I mean, she, she's just what you look up to and think of as the perfect wife and perfect mother, but she has this friend. She has this friend that she loves, and quite honestly, she hates at the same time. Maybe you have some friends like that. But see, here's the thing. She's really nice to her friend's face. But as soon as her back is turned, she's gossiping about her. Do you think that she needs grace for her sin? 
sitting next to her is her husband. Now, this guy is really, really good at business. He makes a lot of money. And he does so good that people in the community come to him to ask him for business advice. The problem is that he's so good at it, there's a reason, and it's because he likes money a lot. He likes it a lot. And you might say, unfortunately, even though he is very successful in business, he is really not very successful in generosity. He's probably rather greedy. Does he need grace? Sitting next to him is an older lady. Maybe she's been going to church all of her life, and she is that one that leads a small group or teaches and is just amazing at what she does. And she is so godly. But she is still mad at her mother. And she has not forgiven her. Growing up, her mother was very overbearing and even emotionally abusive at times. And she's still not forgiven her. She just can't let it go. I wonder if she needs grace. Sitting next to her is a man who's a father and a husband. And he doesn't value his wife. He takes her for granted. Doesn't appreciate the things she does. He goes out drinking with his friends, having a good time, throwing them back, and looking at other women. You know, the thing about him is, look, he's embarrassed about his behavior, but he just doesn't care because he's so selfish. It doesn't really matter to him. Does he need grace? And then the guy here at the end of your row, this is a really religious guy. I mean, this guy knows, he's the one everybody goes to to ask those questions. Um, and honestly, he's really not doing any of that stupid stuff. He is way beyond that. And essentially, he's been walking with Jesus for a long time. And he really is pretty holy, except he's very judgmental. I mean, he's looking down this row and, and, and is just shaking his head. He doesn't understand and doesn't agree with the way she voted. And he, he just doesn't understand that their behavior, that he, he says he just thinks he's looking at a bunch of losers. He doesn't even understand why they're even allowed to be in church for behaving the way they behave. Do you think he needs grace? Ask yourself, who needs grace? Look down your row for a moment and ask yourself, which one of the people sitting next to you needs grace? And ask yourself, do you need grace? See, church, sometimes we, we inadvertently we get it wrong. And we do so without meaning to. And what we wind up starting to say is that you have to behave first, which is back to the truth, truth, nothing but the truth, right? 
And quite honestly, it's a lot like a church that I, I attended for a while at one point in my life. It was, it was kind of funny when you look back at it. I mean, there were all these implied rules that you had to go through. Uh, one of the, you know, and, and some of those were that you had to dress a certain way. I mean, you couldn't show up looking bad. They would think what I had on right now would be looking bad if I showed up at that church. And then you had to also look like you liked being there. Even though it probably was the most boring time of your day or your week and month. But the implied rules were even worse. Because here's what, what they were. If you behave and believe, then you can belong. And then you can belong as long as you behave. But if you stop behaving, we're going to gossip about you and we're going to call it prayer. Or if you don't believe the way we do, you've got to go to another church and you, you can no longer belong here. So... It all comes down to you can belong if you believe and if you behave. The problem with all of this, this isn't the gospel. Jesus doesn't say, change your life, become perfect, and then follow me. He says, come to me as you are, and I will reform you. I will not only change your life, I'm going to give you life. And that is sometimes why we get it so wrong. If I could have the keys or the music to come up, that'd be awesome. Still got a ways to go. Stay with me. I hope their fingers don't fall off. The thing is, is we, we need to adjust our thinking and basically we need to lead with grace. And what I want uh, any church to be is, is a place where people can belong even before they believe. A safe place for people to belong even before they behave. Because it is grace that saves. Now, I know what I might have just said, and some of you may be thinking that this is kind of dangerous, that people can go about doing whatever they want to do. And that's not true. That's not what I'm telling us. Because basically you're thinking, well, there's no standards. Well, no. See, Paul actually addresses that very thing and challenged it in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. And he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You see, we lead with grace and we proclaim with truth. The challenge with truth is to a post-Christian generation is post-Christians are often skeptical about the truth. They would tell you that anyone who claims to know truth is arrogant at best and even dangerous at worst. But here's what we have to understand, that truth is not restrictive, it's not repressive, it's not oppressive. Truth is freeing. Truth is liberating. It's absolutely and completely life-giving. Look, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis and you walk into the Garden of Eden, God looked at Adam and said, good, I did good. Go be fruitful and multiply. That's a great assignment from a loving God. He said, you can enjoy anything in the garden except just stay away from that one tree. 
Because if you eat of that tree, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to lose your innocence and you're going to experience a spiritual death. In other words, his rule wasn't to limit their fun. It was to protect them and to set them free. Stay away from danger and enjoy his creation. His rules were loving and freeing and liberating and life-changing. Truth isn't just rules, church. Truth isn't just regulation. And truth isn't just morals. Truth is a person. Truth is not just a what. A truth is a who. Remember this from Scripture. Jesus is the way and the what? The truth and the life. Truth is a person. And you know the truth. And John 8.32 says this, and the truth will do what? The truth will set you free. Grace saves and truth frees. So if you think about the people on your row again, or in your home, or maybe even at work, even that one that voted the wrong way, which one needs grace? And which ones need truth? Critical jealous woman? And you're so loved. You're so welcome here. And you belong. That's grace. But the truth is, envy rots your bones. And there is a way of healing and freedom. And it's called love and blessing others and considering others better than yourself. You're welcome, but the truth is Jesus can help you overcome. And her husband, the greedy husband, look, you're so loved and so valued and you've been called by God. But the truth is the love of money is the root of all evil. And there's a better way because it is way more blessed to give than receive grace, truth. Than the unforgiving one. You're so gifted that the way you lead your group and the way you teach makes such a difference. You can see the Holy Spirit working in you. And you can see the difference you're making in people's lives. It's grace. You've loved, you're so loved, but the truth is unforgiveness is a significant problem. And you're called to forgive others as Jesus forgave you. And if you don't forgive, that can be one of the greatest hindrances in your relationship and your intimacy with God and it will not free you. It's grace and truth. And this guy down here on the end, and this guy, he's hard for me to like. I don't know if I can say that or not, but and the reason it is is because he's the judgmental one. But even so, he's so loved. So loved. 
and welcome here because, well, quite frankly, I'm a mess. He's a mess. We're just a bunch of different kind of mess. But he's so loved and you're so welcome here. And the truth is, sir, that pride, pride usually comes before a big fall. And if the truth is, if, if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. See, grace saves and truth frees. <laughs> I know what some of you are saying right now. You know, Michael, you skipped a chair. I did. No, I didn't. It's my chair. This is my chair. This is where I belong. See, I was that husband. I was that father. I was so full of sin. I was so angry. I hurt so many people. I didn't treat my wife the way she needed to be treated. I didn't treat my kids the way they needed to be treated. Remember when I was talking about that legalistic home? But there's a better way. And his name's Jesus. But I didn't get there that easy. There was a time when I literally was at my end of my rope. I just couldn't go on. I didn't know where to go, what to do, because see, I was so far down in a pit of my own making. It wasn't until I spent a weekend with a group of men who loved Jesus. And they read to me Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourself, and but this is a gift from God. Church, there's a better way. Just humble yourself. Give your life to Him so that He can give you life. Grace saves and truth frees. Would you guys stand with me, please? See, I am so thankful that Jesus came so overflowing with grace and truth. But who is Jesus? He is the Word made flesh of grace and truth, the chain-breaking, sin-shattering, intimacy-building, life-giving truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ. His grace is so undeserved. It was, it was scandalous when He would sit and comfort sinners and love outcasts, touch lepers, and, de- and befriend prostitutes. And I am so thankful for His grace and His truth. 
And so I say to everybody, you're welcome here. Whatever you're facing, whatever your questions are, your, your hurt, your baggage, your sin, your addictions, you're welcome here. But you're also going to hear the truth. And his name is Jesus. And he sets us free and he changes us. And when you see who Jesus really is, I fully expect and, and believe that you will want to follow him because he is the word made flesh. And we have seen his glory. He is full of grace, the unmerited, undeserved favor, kindness, and goodwill of God and the uncompromised truth that sets people free. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day and thank you for your love and your grace. For without that, we'd be lost. And Father, I just ask today that no matter where they are, who they are, that they are welcome here. And they learn to understand who you truly are. Because it is only through your work on the cross and, and, and what you've done that truly brings us into repentance. Thank you for your love. And Father, just be with those who are searching. I thank you for all you do. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name. And that's this week's message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you would like to join our online campus and experience the service as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing and blessed week.